two, three. Jeez. Still think he looks like the FedEx guy. Blonde hair, blue eyes. If you got a Bible, you can open up to Exodus chapter 20. We're on uh, commandment number four this morning. In Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 8, we read these words. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is in, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for all you've given us. Thank you for uh, the Sabbath day. Thank you for uh, giving us this command. Uh, I pray today that we see what a, what a, what a wonderful, gracious command this is uh, to rest. Uh, forgive us for, for, for we do not do this uh, as we should. Um, and so today I, I pray that, that, that ultimately we would see that Jesus is our true Sabbath rest, that in him we, we find rest, uh, in him we uh, find a yoke that is easy and, 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 and a burden that is light. Uh, we thank you for what he's done for us on the cross. Uh, and that, Father, I pray that you would show us where we're not doing these things and that, that we would rest, that we would be a people who, who take this command seriously. Uh, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, so by way of review, right, I think it's important to go through the, uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, I think I read a study the other day that like six in ten Americans don't even know all the Ten Commandments. So uh, we make a big fuss about them, right, all the time, and they're being taken down, but yet we don't even know them. Uh, and so I think it's important that we go through these things. And so uh, if you remember, the, the Israelites are at the base of the mountain, right? Uh, got a joke this week. That said, you know, Moses is up there bringing down the first tablet that connected to the cloud. Hey, and uh, got gotcha. you. All right. Told somebody I'd work that one in there. Uh, and so commandment one is there is one God and you will worship him only. Commandment two is make sure you worship that God correctly. No idols. So we're not fashioning anything that we are worshiping God through. There's one mediator between man and God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we fashion uh, no images or anything that we would worship him through. Commandment three is since there's only one God and he wants to be worshiped correctly, we don't worship him or we don't use his name flippantly. Right? Anybody have a hard time with that one this week? And catch yourself going... Oh, man, right? I did, like, multiple times, like, would say something and go, oh, gosh, I can't, you know, just like even that, probably, you know, right? Absolutely. His name is to be honored. It's revered. It's hallowed. And like I said, it's difficult because we all violate this command, and a lot of times in ways that we don't even realize that we're doing it. But the good news for us, we said, is that Jesus died for third commandment violators like us. He died and he gave his life to save and to redeem us. And God gave him the name that is above all names. So that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. And so because of that, we want to make sure that we hallow and we honor that name. 
Now, several years ago, Mariah and I had went to a conference for, for Lucy, and we were leaving Dallas, and we were trying to get out of town, and it was around lunchtime, and so obviously we, we got to eat, and so we are trying to find a place to eat, so we just punch it in the phone and see what's nearby, and, and sure enough, there's Chick-fil-A, right? And so, uh, yeah, the Lord's Chicken. And um, I'm sitting there thinking, like, I, I, can, I can handle the Lord's Chicken, right? Like, I can, I can do work on a couple spicy chicken sandwiches. Sounds like a good plan. And I mean, the kids will eat it too, but more than anything, it's about me. So yeah, I was like, punch it in. That's where we're going. And so I'm fired up about it. I'm getting ready. We pull in. There's nobody there. And it dawned on us both that it was Sunday. You ever done that before with Chick-fil-A? Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, we're driving. We're not at church. We're out of routine. So I didn't even think it was a Sunday morning. And so I'm angry, I'm upset because they're closed. Now, I think a lot of us approach the fourth commandment like we do Chick-fil-A. So on the one hand, we go, yeah, good for Chick-fil-A. Way to go, right? Like, like in a world that doesn't value the Sabbath, look at them go. They honor it. But when you want to eat there on a Sunday, you're not super happy about it, right? So in our lives, it's like, you know, we have a sense of respect for those who try and honor the Sabbath, who, who try to hold it in high regard, but when it comes to the way that it can inconveniences our own lives, we think, well, that commandment, a little annoying. And the fourth commandment, honestly, is the longest commandment. And I think what we're going to see is that it is the most difficult one to apply to our lives. And one of the things that makes it difficult is every commandment is reiterated in the New Testament except for this one. Like nobody doubled down in the New Testament saying, you have to do this on this day. And so that's baffled scholars for years and, and it's led to a lot of uh, issues where people are like, well, we don't really know what to do. But I think the principle's still in there, okay? And so let's just look at it and we'll try to see if we could uh, kind of get what this is, is, uh, is getting at. So look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 again. So remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. So first thing first, this command is actually grounded in creation. So if you ever get those neat nicks out there, they're like, well, we shouldn't obey the Mosaic law, right? That's Old Testament. Well, this isn't necessarily Mosaic law. This is creative law. This is grounded all the way back into the very beginning, into the fabric of how God created the earth. That God created for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And so God says, hey, remember that, and then remember to keep the Sabbath holy, so what's the number one attribute of God mentioned in the Bible? And if you would say love, you're wrong. It's his holiness. The number one attribute of God mentioned in the Bible is his holiness, his otherness, that he's different than you and I, that we're sinful. He's not. We're created. He's eternal. We have to learn things. God knows everything. And so I think he kind of knows something when he says, hey, keep the Sabbath holy. Now I want you to notice the command, though. And I don't think we think this way with this command. This command has just as much to do with work as it does rest. God says you will work for six days, and on the seventh day you will Sabbath or you will rest. 
So I think one of the ways to know right off that if you're violating the Sabbath is if over and over and over and over, seven days keep looking the same, you might be violating the Sabbath. But if one day in there kind of looks a little bit different, then, then you're probably obeying the principle of the Sabbath. So God says work for six days and then rest. And J.D. Greer was really helpful for me in this because he said, God says we need to rest from work for two reasons, right? So first, we need to rest from work because work stresses us out. We all depend on work to provide for our needs in life. So we don't work. We don't have money for our needs. Or in most of our cases, our wants. So we stay stressed out about not making the sale or getting the raise or getting the crop in or educating young minds full of mush, right? Because losing any of those things could mean losing money, which could mean losing our lifeline. So work stresses us out. So we need to rest from that. But do listen. Number two, work stresses us out because here's the big one. We find our identity in work. So when you meet new people, what's the first thing you say? Hey, hi, how are you? What's your name? And then you go, well, what do you do? Right? Have you ever noticed how we do that? And so if you have a very high-profile job or a lucrative job, like you have no problem telling people, hey, I'm a doctor. How you doing? That's what I do. Right? You got a lower-profile job, you kind of mutter it, pastor, pastor. <laughs> well, what was that? <clears throat> pastor. No, it's pre- professor. I said Professor. The reason we're like this is we find our identity in our work. Work causes stress because bad work equals low self-worth. So God tells us, you need to rest one day of the week. And so practically, we all need rest, okay? I mean, if you don't rest, God will eventually make you rest. Some of you have been there before where you won't rest and boom, sickness comes. Something happens. God says, you're going to rest whether you want to or not. It happens, all right? But spiritually, we need to refocus. Well, what do we refocus on? Well, he's already told us one thing that we need to refocus on, right? Six days God created, and on the seventh day he rested. So we're to focus on and and, and think on the fact that we are created, that we are dependent creatures. So we take a day to remember that very thing. But the other thing is this. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 15, verse 12, and Deuteronomy just means second giving of the law, right? That's, that's the technical term for Deuteronomy. All these, these commands are repeated. And Joe read this earlier. In Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, he says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commands you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you, sh- on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, your ox, your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So we need to rest, and then we need to refocus And what we need to do is, first off, remember that we're created. We're finite creatures. We're dependent on God. But then if you notice in Deuteronomy, he doesn't ground it back into creation. He grounds it in salvation. He says you're to rest and remember that you are special, not because you're awesome. You're not. But you're awesome because God loved you. He had compassion on you. And he rescued you from slavery. So the fourth commandment is given 
so that we make sure that we work and we rest. And let me tell you something about work. Work's not bad. It's, it's not, and it's not spoken of negatively in the Bible. In fact, it's a good thing. I think a lot of times as Christians we think, well, work's horrible, uh, and it's all as a result of the fall. Because of the fall, work is terrible, and God gave us work because, you know, Eve just couldn't resist. Well, actually, work's talked about before the fall. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So before the fall, there was work being done. Now, the fall broke it. The fall messed it up to where now it is difficult. Now it is hard. Now we tend to find our identity in our work. But before the fall even takes place, there is work to be done. And so God says work is a good thing. And since work takes up so much of our lives, we tend to allow the idol of work to replace God. And see, when the idol of work replaced God, then here's what you've got. Now you've got a first commandment violation because now your work is the God you worship. Again, J.D. Greer says the first commandment is the heart of the fourth commandment. God wants to make sure that he, not our work, remains our primary focus, our source of identity, and what we trust for the future. So let's go back to identity. We evaluate our worth as people by what we do or by what we have. So what we do becomes the means to which we can get. The more we get, the better things look in our life, right? Absolutely, okay, especially in this Instagram world we have. But God says, no, I made you, I created you, I set my love on you before time began. I saved you, I rescued you. Your identity is to be found in me and what I've done. Your worth doesn't come from what you do or what you possess, okay? So, so just some quick diagnostic questions. Just think through these things. How do you define your worth? Do you define it by how much money you make? By what people think about you? Do you define it by what you drive, what you live in, do you get intimidated by people who seem to have more than you, right? And I think we can all find ourselves somewhere in those questions that we tend to find our worth and identity in there somewhere. So since we find our worth in our identity in our work, we then trust in our work to meet our needs. And we don't trust in God. We should work. God wants us to work, but he also wants us to trust him. So here we go. To protect us, God says, to stop you from getting so wrapped up in your work that you find your identity in it and not in me, I want you to take one day off and I want you to rest. I want you to rest. And listen, don't participate in what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery, okay? We tend to go, well, but times were different back then, Pastor. You don't understand. I mean, they, they don't have it nearly as hard as we do now, right? I mean, whoo. Really? I mean, survival in ancient Israel was a day-to-day challenge. Crops had to be watered daily. They're living in the desert. They don't water the crops. They don't take care of their business. They die. Their family dies, right? They don't got their pivots on their phone where they can go, oh, yeah, shut that off, right? And they can see what's going on. They had to actually go and water their crops by hand. So God says, hey, listen, take a day off, rest in me. Doing that, listen, that cut their productivity by one-seventh. 
He wanted them to rest. He wanted them to be less productive than they could be so that they would trust in him to make up the difference. God didn't want them, and he doesn't want you and I, to say, all I have is because of what I did. No, he wanted them to say that I have what I have because what God has given me. I have what I have, not because I worked hard, but because I worked hard for six days, and then I trusted God to make up the difference on the seventh, okay? That's what that means. And, and so far in the book of Exodus, have you not seen that balance of our work and God's work? What happened in Exodus 14, surrounded by Pharaoh and his armies? Moses says, yeah, y'all just be quiet, sit there, God will take care of everything. But then you get to Exodus chapter 17 and he says, hey, Joshua, pick some men because now you actually are going to have to go and fight. In Exodus chapter 16, the people are hungry, they're griping, they're complaining. God says, I'll provide for you, I'll take care of you. Here's some manna, here's some quail. Now eventually, what's God going to tell them to do once they get to the promised land? Settle down, make homes, plant crops, work. There's a balance between God saying, I'll provide, but then you also have to work. And that's the same thing that's going on here. Six days you work. And that's the means I'll use to provide for you. But on the seventh day, you do nothing. You allow me to provide rest in me. And not because you can afford it, folks, okay? But because I want there to be a space where you trust me, is what God's saying. A place where I can multiply your efforts and provide for you. The same thing goes for tithing, right? God says, hey, I want you to tithe and give to me. Not because you can afford it, but because I want there to be a space where you say, hey, well, I don't know if we can afford this, but I'm going to trust that God will provide and take care of our needs. It's the same with work. I want you to have that space where you lean on me. Our Sunday school teacher that, that we had when we were in Plains, Mariah and I, um, young guy, he was my age, uh, and, and he used to always say, you're not going to do anything on Sunday that you don't have to fix on Monday. And he made a habit of something that his grandfather taught him and that his dad taught him. And they shut everything off on Sunday. He didn't go to the farm. He didn't mess with it. And, and let me just tell you something. I have to tell my dad this too. The farm was still there on Monday. So I got to tell my dad, those cattle will still be there on Monday, I promise. That's what he's talking about. That's the original intent for the Sabbath. And this is where all the neatniks didn't want to come in and say, well, that was Old Testament, Byron. That's law. What are you trying to do? Take us back there, big legalist. Well, then let's look at what the New Testament says. And let's kind of see if we can try to figure out how we apply this as New Testament believers. So in Romans 14, chapter, five, or chapter 14, verse 5, Paul says this, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So here's the background. You had all these new Gentile converts to Christianity. You had all these Jewish converts to Christianity. Fights were breaking out in the early church. Why? Because the Jewish believers were saying, well, Saturday's the Sabbath. Well, the New Testament, the guys, the Gentiles were saying, well, no, it's Sunday. So they couldn't agree on a day. And Paul's like, listen, there's not one day that's more holy or special than another day. See, the New Testament people couldn't say that. If the Jewish people said in Moses' time, well, I think Sabbath's going to be on Thursday, they would have been stoned and killed on Friday. You weren't allowed to do that. That's why Paul comes along in Colossians 2.16 and says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. On what day you choose to take the Sabbath. 
So Paul's point is that Christians are no longer required to keep the Sabbath the way that the Jews did. Okay, see, this is where the, the problem comes in. But I think we can, we can do some work here. If you remember two weeks ago, we drew a distinction between three types of law. You had civil, ceremonial, and moral. So the Old Testament teaching on the Sabbath included, included strict penalties for Sabbath breaking. So since those are no longer in effect because we're not a nation like Israel, we don't kill people for skipping the Sabbath, right? We, we just don't do that anymore. It might be interesting if we did, but we don't. The ceremonial aspects of the Sabbath rest were a sign pointing to salvation, and it found its fulfillment in Christ, right? What did Jesus say? Come to you, me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. That I'm the true Sabbath rest. I'm the one that, that takes, you, uh, takes your sins and you find rest from all your striving. Colossians 2.17 says these are all shadows of the things to come, right? The Sabbath was a shadow, but the substance is found in Christ, okay? So there you go. Civil and ceremonial have found their completion in Christ. But even the moral requirement has found its primary fulfillment in Christ, because Jesus kept the Sabbath. He was the Sabbath. He never violated it. So all those things have found their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But the obligation based on the eternal standards of God's law to rest one day in seven are still there for you and I. Philip Ryken says, frankly, it takes a commandment to make us rest. Eugene Peterson says, nothing less than a command has the power to intervene in the vicious, accelerating, self-perpetuating cycle of faithless and graceless busyness. In other words, we're hard-headed, so we need a command to sit down and rest. So here's what happened in the New Testament. Jesus came. And when Jesus came, everything changed. Jesus comes, he obeys the Sabbath. Not all the crazy man-made rules the religious leaders put out there. That's why he's always fighting with them about what he does or doesn't do on the Sabbath. Right? That's why he gets into all those conflicts. Jesus keeps the law of God perfectly. He dies in our place for sins. He rose again on what day of the week? Sunday. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all tell us that Jesus rose on the first day of the week. John, in the book of Revelation, he starts talking about he's praying on what day? The Lord's Day, that's Sunday. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 7, says on the first day of the week, we were gathered together to break bread, to have church is what they're talking about. The first day of the week would be the Lord's Day. That would be Sunday. So in creation, God took Saturday off. God's people for a few thousand years took Saturday off. Then they all started taking Sunday off. It's all cause and effect. Jesus rose, so they reorient their entire business. Their entire week has now been reoriented around Jesus' resurrection. So the point for us is that Christ is our Sabbath. So if we're resting in, rejoicing in his resurrection, then you and I have fulfilled that commandment. So we should still observe the Sabbath as a principle. So there should be a day of the week in your life where you rest from all your labors and refocus on God and remember the gospel. Now listen, I'm not talking about a day of just leisurely laying around in the hammock, okay? That is good, and you should do that. But when we're talking about Sabbath, we're talking about a day where we focus on what the Lord has done. So again, J.D. Greer, who was very helpful, says that we need one day as Christians to refocus, rest, and remember. 
So let's go through these really quickly. I'm a good Baptist today. I got three things for you. So first, we need to refocus. We need a day of the week where we refocus on God. We're finite. We're created. We are all like batteries that need to be recharged. So we need to take one day to refocus our hearts on the Lord who made us and created us. So for our context, what I'm talking about is Sunday, right here. Where we live, for the most part, the one day a week that most of us get off is Sunday. It really is. And so I think for our context, that's what I'm going to tell you, is that Sunday is our Sabbath. Uh, I think if we were in a bigger city or somewhere where people had kind of all kinds of different jobs and stuff like that, I would say maybe Saturday or maybe another day. That's why some churches in bigger towns have a Saturday service, because some people genuinely do work. But in our part of the world, most of us can get off on Sunday. And so we need to have that day where we gather as a church and refocus on God. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the church should be your place where you refocus your attention on God at the very beginning of the week. And if you're like me, that's hard to do because I don't tend to think of Sunday as the beginning of the week. To me, Sunday's always like, that's ah, the last day of the week. Monday's the beginning. Well, no, Sunday is the beginning of the week. This is where we recharge to go out uh, the rest of the week. So, so we need to refocus. But two, we need to rest. And by rest, I don't mean sleep all day. But I do mean doing things that quiet your mind. A really good principle for some of you is this, is that if you work with your hands, you need a Sabbath with your mind. So that means you need to read a book. Take a nap, right? Sometimes there's nothing more godly than a good nap. Even if you're like me and it's 10 minutes and, I, and I'm awake, right? I've, I, yeah. Spend time with your kids. Spend time with your spouse. If you work with your hands, Sabbath with your mind. But listen, if you work with your mind, Sabbath with your hands. Like, I like yard work and people think I'm crazy. Well, I sit in there and try to read books I can't understand all week, right? I'm trying to rub two brain cells together and figure this stuff out. And so that's relaxing to me is to go out there and to just push them over, right? That's a good Sabbath for me. Listen, I'm going to give you all a great piece of advice. The biggest reason we can't Sabbath in our culture is you've got it in your pocket right now. It is a cell phone. Take a day and turn it off. Turn off the media for one day. It's election year. Turn it off. Just do it. Listen. It's like my sixth election I think I get to vote in. And every year, every time I get to vote, I hear the same thing. It's the most important election of our lifetime. And in four years, I'm going to hear that again. And listen, don't get me wrong. We need to make sure we get the right guy in there. Amen? We do. I agree with that. But God's got it. He doesn't need you. You can take one day and not worry about what Kamala Harris is doing or, you know, what Antifa is doing in Portland, Right? Right? They're all just living with their moms in their basement. They all need to get jobs, okay? They're guilty of Sabbathing too much, all right? Those kids are. Take some time. Sabbath from the media. Rest. Turn it off, okay? So refocus on God. Rest. And then listen, remember is the last one. Well, what are we supposed to remember? The gospel. The gospel's the basis of the other two. The gospel is the most life-defining reality for all of us sitting in this room. The gospel is our identity, not your work. See, in Christ, you were accepted and loved. 
Not because you worked hard to earn it, but because he gave it to you. His opinion is the only one that really matters. We don't base our self-worth on how successful we are or at work, how successful we are at work or what others think about us. Our acceptance is based on what Christ thinks about us. So the gospel is our identity. The gospel is our security. Listen, folks, God saved you. And if he saved you, I think he'll take care of you. And I worry about stuff just like the rest of you do. But I have to remind myself that if God gave his son to rescue me from my sin, he'll also help with the hospital bill or the light bill or the gas bill or or whatever it is that you've got. God says, I'll take care of it. Rest in me. The gospel reminds us of our purpose. That's why we gather on the first day of the week. It helps us to see that God loved us and saved us at the expense of his son. And if he did that, there's a whole lot of people out there that don't get that. And we need to leave here and go and tell them about it. See, the gospel brings clarity to our lives. So every time I preach or Joe or Braden or whoever gets up here, I hope we always draw you back to the cross. If we don't do that, we have failed. And listen to me, I've been doing this a long time with some of you. I have failed at that at the past, and I'm sorry. I can look back at some of those sermons and go, what was I thinking? You know? Bill Han told my mom the other day in the hospital, she was his nurse, right? I hate that my mom's a nurse in Amarillo. She sees too many of y'all. But uh, Bill said, oh, he's a little fired up when he got here, but he's calmed down a little bit. (laughs) Thanks, Bill. Um, And I didn't do good at that, and so I'm sorry for that. But I hope we leave here every week going, man, my sins, they're many, but God's mercy is so much more. So listen, you need a day of rest to celebrate your relationship with God. So if you're a Christian, honestly, this should be your favorite day of the week. It should be a day to rejoice and remember what God has done for you. Again, J.D. Greer says, if you delight in God throughout the week, Sunday with God's people becomes your favorite time. Sunday's the culmination and celebration of the whole purpose and drive of your life. So very quickly, a couple of things I want you to think about and we'll be done. So who do you really trust to take care of you? See, honestly, the Sabbath has nothing to do with whether you can afford the time. We can. Oftentimes we just choose not to. The Sabbath has everything to do with whom you trust to take care of you. So either you trust yourself to take care of you or you trust God. So if you trust God to take care of you, the proof should be in your actions, not in your words. It should be in the fact that you give yourself space to allow yourself to rest and allow him to provide well, I can't Sabbath on Sunday, Byron. I have to work. Okay, I, I get that. Some of you genuinely do. I, I do. I understand that. You know why I understand that? I do too, right? Roy Harbour told me he liked my work shirt today, right? <laughs> I told him I only have one, right? Because I only work one day a week, and y'all want me to shut it down early on that day. So <laughs> Sunday's a work day for me. I'm usually up here all day. So I try the best I can to Sabbath on Friday. I mow the yard, Right? This time of year, I go to football games. That's my favorite Sabbath activity, right? And then find somewhere to eat when we're out of town. I love it. Listen, most people in the ancient world went, worked on Sunday. They did. So you know what they did? They got up, they went to church, and then they went to work. 
And I understand that some people just can't get off on Sunday, but in our part of the world, listen, most people can. Most of the time, the reason you have to work on Sunday, okay, and I'm going here, is because you used your time poorly the other six days of the week. You did. Instead of working your tail off the last 20 minutes at work, you were on YouTube or Fox News or some other social networking site instead of working hard. Or maybe you just were lazy that week. Kevin DeYoung in his book Crazy Busy says that a lot of the reason we can't Sabbath is because we lack rhythms in our lives. We, we have just this sense of routine and rhythm during the week where we do certain things at the same time to give ourselves margin and to give ourselves space so that we can be present with God's people on, on Sunday mornings. But listen, if you absolutely can't get off, then you need to make sure you do find another time to Sabbath and to rest and to listen to God's word be preached and taught. So listen, remember, the Sabbath's the day to refocus, rest, and remember the gospel. That's for Christians, but let me close this way. Do you know Jesus? See, if you're in here and you died today, would you be with Jesus? And here's the crazy thing, is if you don't know Jesus, then observing the Sabbath makes absolutely no sense for you. See, on the Sabbath, you're to remember your relationship with God. You're to delight in your relationship with God. If you don't know Jesus, then what is there to rest in? Your own work, your own labors, your own, uh, the, what you can do? If you don't know Jesus, your attendance here today is just to try to earn some sort of favor with him. And listen, you shouldn't be here to try to earn or establish a relationship with God. You shouldn't. God wants you here out of the overflow and enjoyment of your relationship with him. So Christianity doesn't begin with what you do for God. Hear that if you're not a Christian. It always begins with what God has already done for you in Jesus. And see, when you get that, you find that God changes you to be the kind of person who wants to know him, remember him, and to be around his people. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And I, and I think if we're real honest in our part of the world, we don't tend to Sabbath too much. We tend to Sabbath too little. And so I think we can all see areas and blind spots as believers to where we're just not allowing ourselves to rest to refocus and to remember. And so um, I just ask that today that you would ask God to just show you ways that you could maybe even establish rhythms or give yourself time to where you can. We're finite, created creatures. We need to depend on God and we need to allow Him to be our rest. If you don't know Jesus today, I pray that as the gospel's been preached that, that you would see your identity can be found in what He's done for you, not in what you do and not in your work and not in who you are. And even us as believers need to repent of doing that and, and find our identity again in Christ. So, Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you that you love us enough that in your grace you give us a command to rest. And so I pray that we not see this as some legalistic command, but we see it as a gracious command from a loving Father who says, hey, take time to refocus, to rest, and to remember the gospel. And that we would do that in our own lives. I pray that if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, that today as the gospel was preached, that you've saved them and changed them, and they would not leave here until they talk to somebody, to me or Joe or uh, to a friend that said, hey, I didn't know Jesus, but today something's changed in me, and that, that we could get that settled today. 
Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've given us. Thank you that you are ultimately our rest, and we can find all of that in you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would, please stand.